Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast normally about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, she's allergic to cowardice, weak-willed men, and hazelnuts. It's my sister, Marissa. Ah, libertarianism. (laughs) That's your one-word review of Ron Swanson. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Okay, so while The Good Place is on hiatus, uh, we're looking at other shows that are related to The Good Place in some way. So uh, we're starting with a theme that we like to call Amramica the Beautiful, which is uh, that we're watching other shows that Megan Amram has written for. Today, we're talking about two episodes of NBC's Parks and Recreation entitled Ron and Diane and Animal Control. But before we get started, a little housekeeping. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and at goodplay.cast.rocks. Uh, If you can, please rate and review us on iTunes. That would be lovely. And you can uh, follow and like us on Facebook uh, at The Good Play. We have a group. Uh, Twitter at The Good Play Pod. And you can send us an email at thegoodplaypod at gmail.com. Did I miss anything? Uh, No, I don't think so. Okay, cool. Uh, So the way we're going to do it is, uh, you know, we're going to do like a very quick... We're not going to do such in-depth recaps for these episodes. So we're going to do a quick recap of each uh, of the two episodes. And then what we thought we would do is talk about kind of the similarities, the thematic similarities between this show, Parks, in this case, Parks and Recreation, and uh, The Good Place. So do you want to do the recaps or do you want me to? Oh, I can do them. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to start with Little Diddy about Ron and Diane. I love this episode. <laughs> do you? I do. Okay. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert up front. I'm not a Parks and Rec fan. And these episodes didn't really change my mind. Oh, okay. I love both of these episodes, but. Huh. I like the second one a lot better than I like this one. Okay. So, <clears throat> yeah, we're not doing a full A full recap, but there are three main plot threads in this episode. Uh, The first is that Ron Swanson, who is a libertarian, who doesn't eat fruit or things of that nature. I can't believe you're salty about Ron Swanson. I love him. He's, I guess he's he's one of the funnier elements of the show. I'll grant you that. He is nominated for a woodworking award for his excellence in chair. And he, his girlfriend, Diane... Uh, goes Lucy Lawless. The, Lucy Lawless, yeah, looks amazing. Yeah, she does. She goes with him to the award ceremony, but so does Leslie Nope. And then Ron's psycho librarian ex-wife Tammy shows up at the award ceremony and keeps flashing her um, her boobs and her junk to try to <laughs> get Ron back. <laughs> They're married in real life, everyone. Yeah, they so. are, right, it's Megan Mullally and, and, yeah. and Ron. Sorry, not Ron, Nick Offerman. Yeah. And... That's pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Diane tells Leslie that she's threatened by the closeness between, like, sort of the emotional closeness between Leslie and Ron, even though the two of them have a very sort of, like, Liz Lemon and Alec Baldwin thing in 30 Rock, where they're like, they're not romantically interested in each other. But the emotional closeness threatens Diane, so 
Uh, Leslie decides to give up her role as Ron's sort of emotional caretaker, and uh, Ron reveals his secret identity as jazz saxophonist Duke Silver to Diane to sort of cement their relationship. Yeah, and Leslie has to distract Tammy all night by, like, (laughs) leading her on a chase, basically, like, throughout greater Pawnee, Indiana. It's pretty, pretty funny. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, the second plot. All thread. right, never mind. <laughs> well, it's just silly. I know. Well, that's the point. It's a sitcom. But yeah, I mean, I was expecting it to be like a slightly more grounded sitcom. Not in, with in not some, with Tammy. In some ways, it is a more grounded sitcom. You know, like The Office, right? The Office yeah. didn't have people wielding an axe and chasing each other, right? Um, uh, maybe at Shroot Farms. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> But not at a woodworking ceremony or whatever. I mean, it, it was trying to straddle. I, I don't want to get into analysis right now, but it was trying to straddle this line between like the sort of very grounded realism of the office and the total surrealism of well, not the total, but the but the pretty brash surrealism of 30 Rock. And like that doesn't really work for me. Like you, you kind of have to pick a lane. OK, well, I will say that most episodes are less like that because uh, when Tammy shows up, it's like all bets are off. She's a she's a real live wire on the show. <laughs> the second plot thread is that Tom, Donna, April, and Andy have an annual December tradition where they go to a nice dinner based on the amount of money that they have put into a box over a year when uh, this man, Jerry, does something <laughs> stupid. And they laugh at it. They put you a know, dollar in a box. These characters are so you're like, this guy. In the, <laughs> like, maybe that's why you didn't like the episode. Because a lot of this stuff, because it's a later season, like, sort of their relationships are cemented. The first two plot threads were perfectly comprehensible to me. I will admit that the third plot thread that we haven't gotten to yet, I couldn't make heads or tails of. Because yeah. I didn't know who these people were. I can explain that. Yeah. So, Anne Perkins aka man perkins as april <laughs> what is april's actual deal can we get into that what later do you mean? Can we put a pin in that i don't understand sure. april i don't understand the character of her i don't understand okay. like is she good is she evil what why is she we'll get the way there. she is okay we'll get there we'll get there okay. <clears throat> so <laughs> donna decides that they're being too mean donna's driving she decides they're being too mean so she drives to jerry's house to pick him up to take him out to dinner with them with all the money that they have and then they figure out there's this huge Christmas party going on. And Anne lets Donna in because Donna drove them to the party. But then she locks the rest of them out and they have to do something nice for Jerry before they're allowed in. And they end up giving him all the money. Did he really have hospital bills or was that a complete joke? Uh, he really did have hospital bills. He had a heart attack earlier in the season. Okay. Because Chris Pratt said he like farted himself half to death. <laughs> yeah. So... When he was having his heart attack, and I'm not laughing because he is having a heart attack. I'm laughing because Chris Pratt said you almost farted yourself to death. When he was having his heart attack, he was basically had uncontrollable flatulence. And so what people reacted to was the farting, but he actually did have a heart attack. Okay. Yeah. So they give him all the money and, uh, and they go into the party. And that's that plot line. Uh, the third one is that Ben, who is your boyfriend's or your husband, is your boyfriend or your husband? My my boyfriend. Your boyfriend, yeah. Adam Scott. Or maybe your boyfriend is this Ben character. Yes. <laughs> and Chris, who's Rob Lowe. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> surprised. <laughs> You're like Rob surprised Hall. by that. <laughs> I forgot he was on the show. They like have a guy's night and they go to this Jerry's party and and Ben keeps being like, Chris, you're going to freak out. Aren't you going to freak out? And Chris keeps being like, I'm not going to freak out. And that's, that's right. it. That's so, the whole plot line. Right. I mean, so that's the other kind of thing where, you know, you have to know that character, both those characters a little bit more. So they used to, um, at the beginning of their uh, introduction to the Parks and Rec uh, family, kind of, um, they come in as state auditors together. And Pawnee is broke, and so, like, their job is to basically slash the budget. And they end up staying in Pawnee because uh, they get jobs there with the city and that kind of thing over time. But Chris Roblo's character is incredibly fit and incredibly, like, high-strung and, like, very tightly wound about health and about, like, mortality and all these things. And so... There would have been a time earlier on in, like, the third season, there would have been a time when, like, he always wants to make everything healthier. So, like, there's an episode where he tries to get rid of the hamburger and the commissary and replace it with, like, turkey burgers and stuff like that. So there would have been a time where had he had a glass of eggnog, it would have been a big deal. But his arc towards the, you know, the part of the show that we watched is that he's been going to therapy like a million times a week. It's 15. Yeah. <laughs> Although Ben says a thousand. Right. Yes. And so the therapy is helping him kind of get past some of his more uh, extreme reactions to things. So it was weird as an outsider because two things. First of all, I can't look at Adam Scott now and not think of him as a demon. I mean, it's very, <laughs> it's very challenging. So Sorry I was about just that. like... I was just like demon. Oh no, it's just it's just he's, a guy. He's like he's like a consummate good guy on this show. Mm. Well, the second thing was that it felt kind of intrusive and weird that he not that you know if you're going to check up on your friend's mental health, I actually think that's really sweet. But he kept doing it in front of other people, and I was like, whoa, that's not cool. Like in front of Jerry's wife, he was like, "Are you sure you're not like devastated and thinking about death?" Right? And like, it's like <laughs> I, I think that's just supposed to be like part of the setup i don't know that you know i i I don't know i didn't take it that seriously but also like if you've seen other episodes of parks and rec you also know that like chris kind of will have meltdowns in front of other people if something like he would have freaked out in front of jerry's wife who is played by christy brinkley by the way (laughs) oh my god that was christy brinkley yeah i was like that is an unbelievably gorgeous woman but i don't know who it is now i know who it is christy brinkley yeah. All so that's right. the so the joke too is the, about Jerry's home life. Like one right. of the, one of the longest running jokes on the show is that you know everybody kind of makes fun of him in the office, and he's like you know the one that everybody's kind of like, oh yeah, it's Jerry, whatever. Like they don't take him seriously, but he basically says like you know this job has its ups and downs, but it means that I get to be home at five o'clock every night with my beautiful wife and my three beautiful daughters, and like so you. You don't, like, I I think the joke is that you expect a guy who looks like that for his beautiful wife to not be Christy Brinkley. And then it's like, oh. But it's implied that you have met the daughter before because she dated Rob Lowe. The oldest daughter, yeah. Yeah. And she's very beautiful. So then can't you sort of extrapolate 
Well, everybody's surprised when you meet Millicent earlier on in the show. Everybody's also surprised at how beautiful she is. So, yeah, she takes after her mama. Yeah, it's supposed to be, you know, it's just supposed to be. <laughs> That's what Ben's like. So, Gail and Jerry, I've thought about it a lot. There's that no logical explanation. The, that was one of the only times I really, like, chuckled out loud. Yeah. So the other episode, so so I, you didn't say this at the top, but I should say before we go too much further that Megan Amram actually wrote both of these episodes. Uh, I, that's I why we, did say that said, at the top. You said these are, these are shows she's worked on, which is oh, true. Okay. And she's done a lot more for a lot of shows as like more of like a producer and like supervising writer, like sort of being, I think, more of a head writer in the room while other people are writing. But she specifically wrote these two episodes that we watched. So Animal Control, again, has three storylines, which I guess is, I mean, it's like a pretty typical sitcom setup, Mm -hmm. I think. The main one, the one that gives the episode its name, is that Leslie and Chris visit Animal Control and they see that it's being run by... No, number one, Harris Whittles, which is sad. Yeah, I saw him. On, I saw him, and I was like, "Oh no!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. The late and great then Harris Whittles. Two, that guy from uh, Superstore, who yeah, is in Dunn. a wheelchair. Yeah. So I guess he's not really in a real wheelchair in real life. I guess he is. Yeah, he's not. So usually people have a problem with that, but I'm going to leave that to the Superstore Twitter account manager. It's not my problem. So, yeah, so they're both, like, stoners who are doing absolutely nothing and being ridiculous inside of the animal control office. And in This fact, is also they... not the first time we've seen oh, okay. both of them, yeah. They laid down, like, a coyote trap inside the office <laughs> yeah. for, like, mice or something, and it catches on Chris's foot, and it's actually pretty... I mean, Roblo does some pretty good physical yeah. comedy they're with They're like, that. we got a real vermin problem. It's like, you know, you, you call them, and nobody picks up. Like, you call the people to come take care of the vermin, and nobody picks up, and she's like, you're the people who are supposed to pick up, and they're like, what? They're like, so... They're so, so trippy, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Leslie is with the council, and this guy who I looked up his name, John, oh shoot, John Glazer. Councilman Jam. Councilman Jam, right? John Glazer says it's his turn. He has dibs on picking the next, and he gets like the next appointment. Like that's how the council works. They go in a, they go in order and they, they get to appoint people in order. And, and of course, Leslie takes umbrage with this and she insists that they have a real selection process. She tries to find somebody and her slate of candidates is terrible. She pressures April into being appointed to this job, which, I mean, doesn't she have a job? Yeah, she works in the Parks Department. So that seems like, uh, it, doesn't, it seems like counterproductive for Leslie, but whatever. April goes in and really starts bombing the confirmation hearing, not because of anything that's her fault, really, more because um, John Glazer is being a jackass to her. But then she proposes that the animal control be subsumed by the Parks Department. Everybody agrees that it's a good idea. And that's sort of the resolution to that storyline. And oh, yeah. And April is named Deputy Director for Animal Control under the Parks Department. The second storyline is that uh, Ron catches strep throat from Diane's daughters. It's a it's a really funny visual. It sort of starts the episode. He's sitting in his office. dressed as though he's about to go out on like the arctic tundra and he and his he's his pallor is terrible and his eyes are all red and he's just you know and and of course Anne is a nurse so mm-hmm. 
she shows up in this episode. She's at the parks department in civvies. She's at the hospital in nurse clothes. Like, what's her deal? She has a part time job at the at for the city in the public health department, and and also a full time job as a nurse. Yeah, I th- I think. Well, that's actually a a previous episode. Is Leslie's like, I got you a job interview for the for the park or not the parks department the public health department and so it's like they have a fight about it actually but she ends up being able to do both okay it's a sitcom (laughs) i'm just i'm just seeing where the real things are and where the imaginary things are so when Anne sees him obviously very ill Anne tries to pressure him into going to the hospital. He refuses, but then he passes out. So I guess, I mean, look, if you're a nurse, you can probably deadlift 300 pounds. So she just, (laughs) she gets him there somehow. And the doctor sees him and diagnoses him with strep throat and gives him penicillin and tells him he needs to start eating a banana every three days. And there's a She tells him that. So Sorry, yeah. Anne tells him he has to start eating a banana every three days. And the, the whole closing sequence of the movie is him trying to gag down a banana which is like (laughs) my favorite thing it's very strange he ends up squishing it onto a burger which is pretty funny and he eats it while looking at a picture of diane and her daughters because so his whole thing is that he's a libertarian and he'll eat the way he wants and he'll live the way he wants and he'll die when he dies and you know that's the way America works right for Ron Swanson and she makes the point that you're not alone in the world anymore and you have to think about Diane and you have to think about her daughters and the people who love you so do they ever end up getting married mm-hmm. oh sweet and they have a kid together oh wow yeah huh I mean I, w- I would have thought that her daughters would have been like teenagers no th- her daughters are when we meet them are like you know maybe seven and nine or something like Hmm. that okay and the third storyline in this episode is that ben tom and andy go to dennis feinstein zooks thank you who is the mogul the 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 scent mogul behind (laughs) what's his scent company called oh i don't remember i just remember like the actual scents are like Allergy? No, musk up was or one, something. Wasn't one allergy? I think probably. <laughs> oh my god! And so they're just trying. They're trying to give get him to give. So he says he's worth twenty million dollars. They're trying to get him to give some money to the Sweetums Foundation, which I did some googling because I was like, I'm really lost here. Sweetums is this major candy company in the town of Pawnee, and mm-hmm. they have a nonprofit for unclear reasons they have a basically like a corporate social responsibility arm that's their foundation yeah, but why would they why would they go raising money from other people for that that seems like it should just be their corporate money i don't know unclear and ben runs it right at this point yeah or he's you know he's one of the higher ups there so i mean zooks is hilarious they try to get him to give them mm. money and it, you know he just kind of is leading them on the whole time they end up at a cigar bar and they see donna there which i thought was yes. really interesting so one of the through lines of the series is that donna who the woman who plays donna retta is fantastic she uh was, oh, wasn't she on an episode of how did this get made did she do spice yes, world she did spice world that was an amazing episode of how that did this was get great made. so she her character was just supposed to be like a background person but like they she thought was so funny that they kept her on they gave her a bigger part and um, 
she's like very sophisticated but on the dl like she has a mercedes-benz and she becomes part owner of a club in pawnee and she um like is always dating like the hottest men so that's like when you see her in the cigar bar and they're like donna and she's like surrounded by these incredibly hot men yeah she's just like like, hey there gentlemen and she and tom have a tradition every year called treat yourself day yeah this is one of the most famous things to come i think from parks and rec yeah and so that's when they like treat themselves and she gets all kinds of like fancy leather goods and food (laughs) and you know they go on tours and do like really fun stuff so in the end andy calls Zook's a dick because he's being a dick and Zook's reacts really badly and throws them out and then they go back later and Andy apologizes and Zook's pretends to write them a check but actually doesn't and that's kind of it I I was really waiting for some sort of I mean it's a sitcom as you keep saying I kept waiting for some sort of like comeuppance or switcheroo of like uh, you got me man you know what I mean like Oh, you you know, you called me a dick, but, like, now thinking about it, I really was being a dick. You know, just sort of like a, That's like not a normal, his character. Like a normal sitcom thing to happen, and it didn't happen, and I was like, oh, so that's just over then. Well, the, so the through line for that one was less about Zooks and more, like, the, the arc of that arc, I guess I should say, the arc of that plot was less about zooks and more about like ben and andy and tom and like their dynamic because ben is like really trying to just like clench his teeth and get through it and like try to be nice to this guy who's like an unmitigated monster and andy is like everyone he's the dumb dumb he's the jason of of this show he sure is he's the dumb dumb character of this show and so everyone's just like just don't mess it up but you know it's kind of like the from the mouth of babes kind of truth thing with him where he's just the one who says like you're being awful and you know ben at first has a problem with that but then realizes that like you know he's actually correct so that's why you know ben is like you're a dick and then they all run out of the office (laughs) I can, but I can understand why, like, if you're watching it as one episode, it might feel like a divorce from everything else. It might feel less satisfying, but, like, Zooks' character comes up quite a bit and is just always a monster. Like, he's never not a monster. (laughs) He needs to be better, like Janet. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, on The Good Place, he doesn't play a monster. He just plays, like, you know, an unhinged creation (laughs) with uh wind chimes for genitals right so some of his scents include allergic for men (laughs) butterface yeah and uh there were a couple other ones blood spurt was one of them as well (laughs) yeah i was uh, i I was very medium on this i and i preferred the second episode to the first one i didn't find myself laughing all that much i mean like i got a couple chuckles in i guess but it didn't strike me as, you know, super hilarious. Um, and I have no connection with the characters, so that didn't really do anything for me. So right. I was just sort of like, well, I actually watched Ron and Diane twice. Try to sort of like, okay, let me, you know, see if I can glean something different on the second go around. And I really didn't. This is not a show for me, but that's okay. Uh, I, I, but I also feel like Megan Amram. Now, I, it's not like I know the woman, right? <laughs> 
Like, I read her tweets sometimes. That's about all I can say about Megan Amram. But I do feel like The Good Place serves her so much better as a vehicle than Parks and Rec did. Because, I mean, what, remember what we, we heard about her was that she had this, like, huge list of puns. Yeah. And, you know, she's like the pun mistress. And, and Michael Schur says if she doesn't make a pun every five minutes, she dies. That's why we got Bark Obama in uh, Animal Control. Right. So that's one pun in, you know, 20 minutes of television. In The Good Place, you know, she's able to just saturate the entire visual environment with, like, nothing but puns. Yeah. Because they have this uh, complete... Because The Good Place is is this... It's a playground that they get to put whatever they want on it versus, you know, the canvas of Parks and Rec is, like, a real-world city government. As, as close to real-world as they want to hew, which seems to be, like, 70% close, maybe. Yeah. Ron Swanson's actually based on a real person they met. I believe it. <laughs> that I believe. He said they but, you were. Know, there's no. There's no room for Megan Amram to do like these these crazy punning experiments, for instance. Yeah, I mean, I think so. There are characters on Parks and Rec that are much more outlandish, and we got two of them. So we got Zooks's character, and we got Megan Mullally's character, Tammy. There are a few other like bit players who come through. Um, and that's where I think they tend to have more of the kind of outlandish fun stuff. So like Ben Schwartz plays one of my favorite characters, John Ralphio, who is just, he's like one of Tom's friends and he's like a trust fund kid. And his, his father's actually played by Henry Winkler and he's just like basically a failure that has like too good of a safety net, but he's... I, I don't entirely know how to describe him other than he's sort of like a a, a a man child that has never, like, he has all these outlandish ideas and he and Tom start a company together. And then his sister is Mona Lisa is played by um, Jenny Slate. Ooh, and so, I love Jenny Slate. Yeah, she's hysterical on the show. Uh, she comes in much later and she and John Ralphio are really 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 funny together and so i think when you have characters who are supposed to be really outlandish i think that's probably more like it doesn't surprise me that megan amram was writing on an episode with megan mullally and an episode with jason manzoukas because i think you know it gives her a little bit more room to do things that are outside of what's normally part of like the everyday parks and rec business but I can see where you're coming from. You have a note in the show notes about how the bureaucracy of the bad place kind of has this, it's sort of a dark mirror of the bureaucracy of Pawnee. And it is interesting because like the Parks and Rec is a way less diverse show than The Good Place is. But one place where you do see a lot of white faces is like the bad place. Yeah. Is the, you know, the the middle management and the worker bees at the bad place. They're not all white, but they are overwhelmingly white. Yeah. As especially, you know, remember that cocktail party from season two? Like, yeah, it's a lot. Well, of and uh, what's his name? Mark Evan Jackson has that joke about, yes. you know, there's a reason why I incarnated as a, you know, mid 40s white man. I can only fail up. Right. And that's like, you know, I, I, it just struck me as I was watching the credits for, you know, the third time of, of Parks and Rec of being like, wow, you know, it's a very white show. And it's not, and the, I, I'm not, that's not a dig at the show because I suspect if you went to city government in like 
Bumbleneck, Indiana, it would be really white. It's probably yeah. a fairly good representation of reality to have a couple people of color, but to have it be majority white. Yeah. But it does sort of give you this picture of bureaucracy that is pretty accurate. And then you see it sort of mirrored in the bad place as like, yeah, <laughs> um, bureaucracy, especially evil bureaucracy would kind of look like that. Yeah. I mean, and it also like, to me, a lot of Parks and Rec is about the mundanity of bureaucracy like leslie nope is kind of the kick in the pants to get everybody to do something more interesting but there are people you know ron ron has a quote that i love where he said you know i would work all night if it meant nothing got done like he just he never ever ever wants to do his job he never wants anybody else to do their job he just thinks what that is his actual job he's the director of the parks department <laughs> So Leslie is the deputy director, but she's a councilwoman. Uh, in in this late in the game, yeah, she also has a seat on the city council, but that doesn't preclude her from having her parks job. Oh, okay, yeah, because like, so there are, as far as I understand it, there are towns that run like they don't have a mayor; they have um like a city uh, manager. Mm. So there are towns that sort of run like that, where you have. Like, Chris becomes the city manager. And so she runs for elected office, and there is a time when she has to kind of stop going to work at the Parks Department, but she loves her job so much that she, like, can't handle that. And that's sort of... But that's supposed to be, you know, Parks and Rec... I think the office probably did this better, but uh, Parks and Rec, to a degree, is about the kind of, like, mundanity of city government life, the way that the office was about the mundanity of office life, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you look at it from that perspective, I think it's interesting to have Michael Schur do almost a sitcom about like the mundanity of office life in hell, <laughs> <laughs> because it does seem like Michael is almost like the Leslie Nope of the bad place because he's the innovator who like wants them to do something different. And that's sort of the Leslie Nope role. That's interesting. Although, now, we should probably save this discussion for our Schurniverse month. Probably, but, yeah. But it's a good thing to put a pin in. Yeah. Well, it's all related because Megan Amram has been working, obviously, with Michael Schur for a long time. Yes. So, so can a now, now can you explain to me what is an April? <laughs> yeah, I love like, April. <laughs> what is her deal? I can't tell if she honestly, you know thinks everything would be better if it were dead <laughs> or if she secretly cares a lot and this is a defense mechanism it's a mix of both so michael Schur did an interview at the paley center uh when parks and rec first started about creating the character of april and he said that a casting... I'm glad you're just randomly a wealth of knowledge about Parks and I, Rec. I really like Parks and Rec. And I also love Michael Schur. And he's fantastic to listen to in interviews and stuff. Because he's just... He really... Um, it, it, what, one of the reasons I like Parks and Rec so much is because the cast really gets along and like has a blast with each other outside of uh the show and so like you can kind of tell that from some of the interactions and so like their interviews are fun but yeah so michael sure was talking about basically he created april at the like when he was 
when they were casting for Parks and Rec, one of their casting directors was like, you have to meet this girl. Like, she's really funny. And I just think you have to meet her. And so he said that Aubrey Plaza came in and sat across from him and made him feel like the least cool, like middle-aged guy in the world. And she was just like, you know, gave him nothing and was like being very, um, had this sort of like Daria. Like she was the girl from the live action Daria video that was circulating YouTube. And he sat down and he wrote a scene where Leslie Nope tries to get a disaffected 19-year-old intern to, like, do something in the office. And that became April's character. So she starts out pretty young. She starts out as an intern. And she really starts out, like, she doesn't care about anything. And she's too cool for school. And she has a very deadpan way of talking. And... She kind of uh, hates everything and she hangs out with, at the beginning of the series, hangs out with like a bunch of people who, you know, are a little hipstery and everything is very ironic to them. And one of her, so one of her friends actually shows up for the animal control job. It's the guy, Oren, who says he can talk to animals. Oh boy. So that's like the kind of people that she was hanging out with. And over the course of the show she actually does form attachments to a lot of the cast members you know a lot of the characters she ends up being really close with leslie she ends up so she becomes ron's assistant full-time and she and ron get along because they both kind of don't want to be there (laughs) um so like ron will say there's an episode and i can get into it if you want but there's an episode where april quits And he says, like, I have to get April back because I could never find a worse assistant. Like, (laughs) she doesn't pick up the phone. She doesn't schedule meetings, but he loves that. And so, like, the joke is kind of that they get along because they both don't want to be there. And Leslie sees some potential in her and is always, like, pushing her to do better, which is why she kind of pushes her for the animal control job and that kind of stuff. The biggest thing that... I think happens with April's character is she ends up marrying Andy pretty early on, actually in the series, but she, that was not planned. So this is again, something that I learned from inner inner interview. Uh, Andy was originally with Anne in the first season. So Andy's character, I remember that it was creepy. Yeah. So like, I mentioned this, I think I mentioned this in in an earlier episode of this podcast, but Andy's character, I think, was meant to be, if you look at this, and again, we we might save this for a Sherniverse episode, but Andy's character, I think, was meant to be more like Roy from The Office. Ooh, boy. Like, kind of a uh, thankless, or not not thankless, but uh, you know what I mean. Like, uh, he's a heel. Yeah, like, he doesn't, he doesn't treat his woman well and he's kind of a screw up and uh he you know that kind of a thing and in the first season he kind of is that and then in the second season he becomes uh i think they sort of retooled his character and he becomes like he's still dopey but he he becomes a lot more lovable because they so what I heard in this interview was that there's an episode where most of the cast goes camping together and April is left in the office and Andy is working as the shoe shine boy because like he just needs a job. 
and they end up having a day together and that was set up to see if those characters would like have anything in common or have any chemistry and it really worked and so they decided that april and andy should have a thing and eventually get married but at the in the second season so the reason why april doesn't like Anne is because Anne and andy used to be a thing and oh that makes more sense now. yeah so when she when April first admits that she has feelings for Andy, she says, it's a problem for me because I don't think you're over Anne. And he says, no, 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 I am. And then Anne, through some sort of like comical turn of events, has a moment of weakness and kisses Andy and uh, and uh, April finds out. And so like it's a big, you know, sort of sticking point in their relationship. And now, you know, Anne... April and Andy are end up being fine and Anne moves on and it's you know it's not it's not this big drawn out will they won't they thing like it 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 resolves pretty quickly but the residual is that April just makes fun of Anne all the time and calls her like man Perkins and stuff (laughs) so that's that's why that happens and that's why uh April doesn't really like Anne um and even that softens with time as april gets older but that's what april is she is a surly teenager who becomes a much more earnest adult but you know still has that kind of exterior shell well i think you're right ready to write your senior thesis on parks and rec (laughs) (laughs) parks and recreation and the i don't know i'd have to give it some kind of pretentious title yeah (laughs) The semiotics. There we go. It has to, if it's a senior thesis, it has to have the word semiotics in it. Yes. But I did think there were some other interesting, aside from like the crossover actors, like my boyfriend, Adam Scott, I did think that there were some interesting like little bits of, you know, some things that you could, at least I picked up on that, you know, you might think that maybe Megan Amram or Michael Schur were like thinking about morality or thinking about kind of like little thought experiments about stuff like you know when donna says like it's christmas time don't you want to be good people and they're like no (laughs) (laughs) you know you can kind of see that i could see that same kind of a plot thread in the good place and the same thing with the way that zooks treats ben and ben just has to like kind of grin and bear it and he's doing it so that he can get money for the foundation to help people but it's sort of like the cost of being good. That's kind of what I called it. Well, I mean, I think you drew a more direct parallel in the notes to um, the the environmental activists that Kristen Bell joins at the end of season two. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, sort of the, the wages of philanthropy, so to speak. Now, yeah, it's a very different ask that the boys have to do to Zooks yeah. than the sort of canvases are, canvassers are doing. But we do see, like, this montage of Kristen Bell, like, it's sort of draining her soul having to ask people to, uh, you know, sign a petition or give five bucks or whatever. And so many people are turning her away. Yeah. And, you know, and I think even... You know, not to say I think Kristen Bell's character is much more sympathetic than Zooks's character in Parks and Rec, but you know she really is sort of verbally abusive when we first 
see the interaction between her and the environmental activist. Oh, she definitely is. She's yeah. very, she's verbally abusive to the level of like, almost to the level of Zooks's character in, in this show. So like, you can almost kind of see like, you know, Ben and the environmental activist being on the same level of like, okay, I'm just tr- trying to get this interaction because I'm trying to do something good here. And this person is like really verbally assaulting me <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> Mm. But Kristen Bell's character gets the humanity that Zooks's character never does. Yeah, he never, over the course of the whole series, he never, like, does a redeeming thing. I don't think so. (laughs) He's just, like, a straight-up monster the whole time. This was the first time I had seen Zooks in a role that I was like, yeah, this is sort of the role he plays on uh, How Did This Get Made? (laughs) You know, like, this sort of, like... I guess, so I've never seen... I I don't want to say I've never seen... um, What's that show that he was the on League. for a long time? Yeah, The League. I've seen like five minutes of The League and I was like, oh, this is not for me. I actually watched several seasons of The League, which surprises me that I did that. But I did it because I liked a lot of the individual actors, like Paul Shear and Jason Manzoukas, obviously. I also like Nick Kroll. I also like um, Mark Duplass. I like Katie Asselton. So I was like, oh, I'll give this a shot. And, you know, it was mindless I stopped watching once it got, like, you know, I just reached a point where I was like, eh, and that's enough. But, yeah, I mean, he plays on that show just like a total scumbag. Just like a total unhinged nightmare person. <laughs> and I think that's what he's Zoom. best known for. So yeah. that's why he gets cast in roles like this. I would love to see him in, like, as, like, a romantic a, lead. Yeah, rom-com. <laughs> He's actually like a soft, soft boy. If you, yeah. if you if you listen to real interviews with him in his real persona, he's like, yeah, you know, an old girlfriend of mine and I used to listen to Joni Mitchell every night before bed. Like, he's not this kind of out there, hyper masculine, hyper aggressive jerk. He's that's yeah. that's a character he plays not only in fiction but also in How Did This Get Made? Right. <laughs> so people think it's his real self, but it's really really not yeah he's like super square and he like didn't drink or do drugs until he was in his like 30s or 40s like he's he studied like musicology you know he's he's just he's like very well traveled very well spoken like a very sweet guy but has somehow crazy beard yeah, so he says he, he grew that beard and after yeah. so apparently I again I heard this from an interview. He grew what he referred what a friend of his referred to as a quote mental illness beard after he went through a really bad breakup and he started getting roles with the beard and so he just never shaved it off and now he is sort of typecast as this like maniac. <laughs> Which I think he does very well. But I would love to see him as, like, you know, in a rom-com or do... I think he's been... He's definitely been... Actually, there's a a rom-com called uh, Sleeping With Other People. Have you seen this? Uh, No. Um, So it's starring Alison Brie and Jason Sudeikis. And he... Jason Manzoukas plays, like, Jason... Sudeikis's best friend and he's married and they have a couple of kids and so he's more normal in that like he's a little bit blue in his humor but like he's more normal in that so that's a good one if you want to see like normal Zooks okay so we got a couple people getting in touch with us to tell us why Tony Stark has a flip phone yeah so thanks everybody <laughs> yeah that was 
a couple of my friends definitely were like, what are you doing? I was like, look, I don't remember a dang thing, everybody. We also got an email from Trifton. It's like, all right, all right, all right. Yes. I didn't even see Civil War, so this is not my fault. I did see Civil War, and I apologize to everybody that I didn't remember why he had a flip phone. My <laughs> Cap friend, gave it to him. That's yes, the reason. My friend Meg, who worked on these movies for many years, was like, actually, I know why he has a flip phone. I was like, thank you. And then Kate texted me. was like, I'm so mad at you. I, I, had to see, you. I had to CGI animate a flip phone because they don't make them anymore. <laughs> So. And uh, next week, uh, continuing the Amaramica, the beautiful theme, we'll be doing Kroll Show. I will put the exact episodes that we'll watch on the Twitter account. Uh, spoiler alert, I have another, I have a feeling that this is going to be another one that I really like and you don't care for at all. <laughs> I think that's extremely likely. <laughs> Although, the o- so the only Kroll Show stuff I've watched is the Philadelphia-Pittsburgh thing, yes, which I which- like only because I'm from Philadelphia and so yes. like I... I, I and I only like it. I don't love it. That's why I sent it to you, because I was like, this will be the thing that softens her towards the girl show. <laughs> like the pharaoh of Egypt. And the other thing I've watched that I like is the Wheels Ontario. Yes, that's hilarious. I really like that sort of... What's what's that Canadian show that they're that they're Degrassi? Spoofing? Yeah, Degrassi. I, you know, I, I've seen an episode of Degra- or two of Degrassi, and so I, I appreciated the, the parody of it. Although it... It goes off the rails pretty quickly. Like, I watched all of the Wheels Ontario segments that they've done on Kroll Show, and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> like, there's no con- there's no real continuity between them. And so, like, no. And it gets, like, I'll just say that there is a a plot point in this, you know, show within a show, this fake show, where, you know, a, a, a an underage girl is pregnant with the baby of her, like, uh, of a teacher at the school, which, like, I get it's supposed to be funny but for me it's too much of like a skin crawling thing like it it cannot be funny for me so that kind of thing where i was like you know there's pieces of it that are funny and there are pieces of it that i'm like no 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 (laughs) i did like the um the fake musical career that the fake star of wheels ontario kind of has for himself i don't remember wheels ontario enough but i'll have to brush up on it this is like exterior, I think. It doesn't matter. But so, yeah, I'll, t- I'll tweet out the, the names of the episodes. I, I think I have a grasp on which episodes we're doing, but okay. I just want to really nail them down. And so I'll, yeah. I'll put that out on the Twitter, you know, so- soon after this episode drops. Yeah. So I love for uh, Kroll Show. I do love Pennsylvania. It makes me very, very happy. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see a lot of thematic similarities between Kroll Show and The Good Place. Probably not. Probably not. But we will get more Jason Manzukas because he's in uh, Gigolo House, which is another one of my favorite segments. Oh, boy. And yeah, I mean, that show's just a bunch of nonsense. I think we'll probably get more puns or more jokes. Oh, there you go. Like Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Up in Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, yeah, that show's pretty, pretty wacky. Sorry you didn't like this as much as I like this. You know, at least... Everybody's always, I mean, and you're part of the everybody, but a lot of people are are on my butt to, like, watch Parks and Rec. Like, oh, you should go back and watch Parks and Rec. Like, you, you love, you should binge Parks and Rec. You love budget work. Like, no, I wouldn't love Parks and Rec. I can say that pretty definitively now. <laughs> I would not love Parks and Rec. It's fine. I've got more time in my life for other things. You know, I can read a book. Right. As, I mean, is there a reason you don't like it, or is it just not your It's just style? not my bag. It's not quite... Let, you know, like I said before, it's trying to find this middle space sort of between 
the humor in like everyday mundanity and like the humor of like uh, wacky zany like 30 rock stuff and like i love 30 rock and i really liked the office when it was in its you know heyday mm-hmm. um but i think they're looking for a middle ground here and i just don't feel it and it doesn't well, it doesn't it doesn't gel for me that's fair and like i said in an earlier episode which i think people find to be pretty unforgivable and i'm just gonna say it like amy poehler doesn't really do it for me like she was funny on snl and um, I love her as the voice in Inside Out. Yeah, she's great but, like, as Joy. But, like, when I've seen her, and I haven't seen her in that much stuff, but, like, I did not like Baby Mama at all. I didn't see Baby Mama. It was not good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, you know, I liked her. She had a very small part in um, Mean Girls. That was funny. But, you know, in terms of, like, a, in terms of like a, a leading starring role, she's not my cup of tea. And that's fine. Like... I've read her autobiography. She seems like a cool person. I wish her all the best. I just don't really want to. She was really concerned about that. (laughs) I know. She's like, but what does Marissa think of me? (laughs) No. And I appreciate the anecdotes about her sort of bringing some feminism to the SNL writers' room. But like, in terms of a, in terms of a person who I want to, to be the person taking up the majority of screen time on a show, like, no, no, she's not. She doesn't do it for me. Okay. Well, agree. I mean, frankly, to neither does Aziz Ansari. I'm confounded by Aubrey Plaza. Like, I, I, I still don't really get her. I don't get April as a character. You know, Chris Pratt is is. I guess he's fine, but he's so dopey and and. Oh, we didn't he, talk about him as the Jason of this show, really. You mentioned other it. Than, you mentioned it. Yeah, he's but I mean, like, we is. didn't get into it. I guess I there's, there's much to get into. Yeah. He's just he's a dope and and there's not much else there so like and ron is funny but (laughs) all right not everything is for all people i i can't convince you that's all right can i tell you one last anecdote about uh chris pratt on this show okay so is this the thing about the beer gut because you've already told this anecdote on the show the thing about the what beer gut beer gut oh oh no 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 it's uh in an early, very early episode, it's, I think it's for a Valentine, a very early Valentine's Day episode, Andy is still, this is before he and, and April get together, and Andy is still trying to get Anne back, and so Andy's, the, it's written that the character goes to, goes to, I think it's uh, Leslie Nope's house where Anne is, or maybe it's Anne, Anne's house and Leslie's just over, I forget which one. But he, it's, it's rumored that he, or it's written that he goes to the house um, completely naked and Leslie answers the door and is like, oh my God, like she has like a really big reaction. And so they did it a few times and, uh, you know, he was wearing like the, the underwear that matched his skin color so that it kind of looked, you know, like they could blur it out, but it was like modesty. He was wearing like modesty underwear, whatever. And he's just like, I just, I wasn't getting the reaction I wanted. So they did one take where he went actually naked and uh, she answered the door and she had a real reaction to Chris Pratt being actually naked. (laughs) And that is the one they used. God love him. Because it was the best reaction from her. And then Chris Pratt... You know, everybody thought it was hilarious. He he said to the... So, like, in the interview that I heard, 
he said to the camera guy, he's like, I think I'm going to go snake out on this one. And the guy's like, don't do it, Chris. And he's like, I'm going to do it. So he did it and, you know, got the good reaction. And that's the one they used. But Chris Pratt got like formally reprimanded by NBC. <laughs> so he had like a letter. He's like, with- sorry, let me let me just go star in Jurassic World and <laughs> yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy real quick. Yeah. Oh, and then if I can tell one more anecdote. <clears throat> okay. Chris, Chris Pratt anecdote is that he improvised one of the best lines on the show. Leslie gets sick and she has the flu or something and they're like wheeling her out on a gurney because she's like so sick and he goes, Leslie, I typed your symptoms into this search bar and it says you may have network connectivity problems. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. And in the this was again a Paley Fest thing and uh and Michael Sher was like, it made me, he's like, as a writer, it made me furious because I could never <laughs> come up with anything that good. <laughs> so he did, he does like to improvise a little bit that those are my Chris Pratt stories did because he, I love him. Okay. I'm not going to spoil Avengers in case anyone skipped it because they haven't seen Avengers yet. Mm-hmm. I was going to make an Avengers joke, mm-hmm. but I won't. Okay. Before we wrap up. Okay. Just a little bit of good place news. Uh, Alex Inc. got canceled. So, uh, oh, which, like, bummer. I, I know, like right off the starting block, really. So, Tia Surkar. a lot. I know. Tia Surkar is uh, available again. So, we may see her on the good place season three Ooh. or God willing season four. Um, another kind of show that's tangential to the good place. I heard that uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine got canceled as well. Yeah, which is did. a bummer. Um, but maybe we can watch a couple episodes of that for the Sherniverse. Oh, that's Sherniverse, right? Yeah, I think that's yeah. on the I think that's on the Sherniverse list. Yeah, um, I've heard that show's very good. I haven't dug very deep into it, but I've heard it's good. No, I haven't watched it at all. Uh, I think we, for the for the Sherniverse, we might just watch the first couple episodes, but right. we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Any parting thoughts? No, I'm I'm good. I don't <laughs> think I've ever been to Indiana, and I don't think I need to go. That's fair. <laughs> Sorry, all uh, you listeners in Indiana. If we statistic- statistically, if we have any listeners in Indiana, it's in Indiana. It's a miracle. <laughs> you never know. Until next time, remember, everybody knows that full fat eggnog tastes better than fat free. <laughs> we'll see you next time, Ding Dongs. Not, not, not.